Hello, I'm John Rossi, a touring drummer with a love of all things animal. When I'm on the road, I visit as many zoos, aquariums. Hey, wait a minute. What's going on? Hey, what's going on there? Hello? Hello? We interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you Rossafari Zoo News. News you can use from the world of zoos and conservation. Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Hello, 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 and welcome back to Raw Safari Zoo News, where we talk all about the world of conservation and zoos, but only in terms of the news, hence the name Zoo News. I'm guessing y'all figured that out already. Anyway, y'all, I have had a crazy week. First of all, if you can't tell from my voice, I have been a little bit sick. I do not have COVID. I did get tested and uh, all is well. But uh, oftentimes at the end of a gig, I tend to get sick for a couple of days. And this time was no exception. And that's right. I am officially done with my first gig back in the real world here. Um, My time in Florida has come to an end, even though it's just begun on the podcast with uh, Tuesday's episode featuring Ron McGill. If you didn't have a chance to check that one out yet, make sure you do. It is really, really good. So you're probably thinking that like any normal sane person, this podcast is coming to you from back home, which for me is right outside of Philadelphia in Ardmore, Pennsylvania. And if that's what you are thinking, you would be very wrong. I have officially arrived at my next gig, which is Million Dollar Quartet up at Northern Stage in White River Junction, Vermont. I am really excited to be back to this theater where I have played multiple shows. And actually, Northern Stage is the first theater that ever gave me the chance to be a traveling musician back in the day. So uh, I've always felt a real strong connection to this place. And actually, as soon as I finished my first tour of Million Dollar Quartet, I came up and was playing another show here, and I spoke to the artistic director and said, we need to do Million Dollar Quartet together here at this theater. Now, that was five years ago. These things take some time, but as of tomorrow, I will officially, actually as of today when this comes out, I will officially be rehearsing that dream with that person at that theater, and I could not be more excited about it. But I will tell you that what that meant is that on Monday morning, I woke up, drove to the White Oak Conservation Center outside of Jacksonville, Florida, and then after doing an interview there, drove the entire way home to Ardmore, Pennsylvania. Got in at about five o'clock in the morning, slept for about four hours, Spent the day at home taking care of life and honestly being too sick to do much of anything, which was not fun. Spent the next day when I felt better celebrating Miles's upcoming birthday because his birthday is August 10th and I will not be there because I am here. And uh, then I caught up with an old friend. It was really, really nice. But it meant that I got home last night too late to do anything. So I woke up this morning, packed all of my stuff again and drove all the way to White River Junction, Vermont. So yeah, it is It is now um, Thursday, and I have gone from Florida to Vermont while having two days off the road. Uh, the real news here this week, folks, is that I am a crazy person. 
But then let's be honest, you all knew this about me already. This is not news. But anyway, enough about my crazy life for now. Uh, this is Rasafari Zoo News, and you can help out by tagging me in any zoo or conservation news stories that you see. It's at Rasafari on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and then at Rasafari Pod on TikTok. You tag me in stories. I mention your name at the end of the episode. It's a really beautiful symbiotic relationship. I love it so much. So here's a quick word from our sponsors and then we'll get to it. Today's episode is brought to you by Daydreamers Studios. Do you have stories and expertise to share with the world? Have you ever thought about starting your own podcasts? There's no better time to start than now with the help of a trusted production partner. Daydreamer Studios is a full-service production company that takes all the stress off your plate. You can focus on creating engaging content while they focus on recording, editing, audio engineering, hosting, and publishing on 22 platforms. Log into the advanced remote system with one click and the Daydreamer team will be on the other end ready for you to record everything you have to say. Owned and operated by Daydreamer Network, Daydreamer Studios continues on the company's mission to empower storytellers of all kinds by making podcasting accessible to all. For more information and current promotions, visit daydreamernetwork.com studios. And now, because I'm about to start a new run of Million Dollar Quartet, here is the full version of Blue Zoo News again. Oh, and as a quick special treat for y'all, those of you that listen regularly know that my buddy Taylor does a lot of these songs with me and a lot of the other stuff like the interrupting John Jingle. Uh, he's playing Jerry Lee in this production of Million Dollar Quartet that I'm doing. So if you are in New England and do get to come and see my show, you'll also get to see this guy that you're about to hear right now singing and playing the keys. Well, it's one for the pandas, two for the bears. For the monkeys, now you should care. Now, won't you listen to Zoo News? Oh, you could do anything, but why not listen to Zoo News? Well, it's a Zoo, 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 Zoo News. A zoo, 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 Zoo News, baby. A zoo, 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 Zoo News, yeah. A zoo, 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 Zoo News. All right, so we start off today's Zoo News with some really cool and exciting news out of the Akron Zoo. The Akron Zoo was recently up for their accreditation check-in with the AZA. For those of you that don't know, the AZA Accreditation Commission goes to every zoo and re-examines them once every five years to keep their accreditation up. Basically, what normally happens is people go, they check that everything meets the current standards, and uh, if there's anything that has fallen by the wayside a little bit, they come up with a plan of action to make sure that it is a temporary thing that will get fixed, and then they get their accreditation after that. However, that's not what happened at Akron this time. And no, I'm not about to tell you that Akron is losing its accreditation. Instead, the Akron Zoo has received a clean accreditation inspection report from the AZA. What does that mean? It means that the inspection team had no concerns to note in their on-site inspection report. 
For some perspective, a clean report has only happened to two other facilities over the past half-century of AZA accreditation inspections. Currently, there are 240 zoos and aquariums throughout the United States and 12 other countries that meet the standards to be accredited by the AZA. So think about that. 240 facilities getting reviewed once every five years, and only twice before has there been a totally clean bill of health. Akron should be so proud of themselves. But I realize this may also make some of you wonder, well, wait a minute, if if facilities aren't getting a clean bill of health, then how are they staying accredited? What is the AZA doing? You know, whatever. I want to clear that up briefly right now. Actually, now that I think about it, that's probably a great topic for an episode down the road. But basically, I explained this a little bit already, but, you know, you can almost pass or you can pass, but you need to tweak a thing or two here because the AZA is constantly changing and improving their standards, constantly ensuring that they are the gold standard and have the most rigorous standards available. They also constantly adjust based on new science and things that we learn about animals. It's, it's really good and always focused on what's best for the zoos and the animals. So if a zoo is up for accreditation and they have something that has fallen slightly below the standards or something like that, then, you know, it's a great way to check in and say, hey, guys, we we need to fix this. We need to make this a little bit better and give them a chance to create a plan to do that. And then they can stay accredited knowing that the situation is being worked on. Uh, So it is a really, really great system. And um, it's keeping zoos the amazing things that we all love now. All right, I don't want to get too rambly, but this is really cool for Akron. I am so proud of everyone there. Some interesting news out of the San Diego Zoo. One of the male snow leopards at the zoo has officially gotten COVID-19, y'all. While the symptoms are mild and the snow leopard is expected to make a full recovery, this is worth looking at because uh, I don't know if you've seen the numbers, y'all, but um, especially with this Delta variant, Things are not going well in the country with COVID-19. And keep in mind, this is not just a human problem. Animals can get COVID as well. While there is an animal vaccine that has been tested and is currently being rolled out, it is a slow process. Unlike the vaccines for humans, which have been proven to be effective and which you can go and get now if you haven't already, please Guys, seriously, I'm at my second gig in a row, and I would like it to actually happen and not be the last one. When I look at these Delta variant numbers, I get very scared. So either for a snow leopard in San Diego or for your buddy John, who really wants to keep playing the drums and acting, eh, really just playing the drums, let's be honest, uh, go out and and take this seriously and get your shot. And if you're in a area that it is recommended by the CDC, Throw a mask on again. I know, it sucks, but uh, let's try to beat this thing for real this time. And now we turn to the Rossafari Zoo News Sports Report, where I'm going to be telling you about the football team, the Jacksonville Jaguars. After finishing 1-15 last season, the Jaguars are not looking super impressive. However, they are in training camp, and it turns out that they've got some really, really impressive defensive skills in training camp. Or I should say, there's one Jaguar in Jacksonville who is really good at defending itself, especially against a stupid human. 
That's right, I'm not actually talking football, but I am talking about an idiot at the Jacksonville Zoo who decided to climb over multiple barriers to reach his hand into the jaguar exhibit there. Of course, as though reaching into an exhibit isn't dumb enough, the man actually decided to start his encounter with the jaguars by uh, antagonizing them from outside of the exhibit. Then, once he had harassed the cats and made them angry, he decided to climb the barriers and reach his hand in. That's, uh, not ideal, folks. A jaguar on exhibit did use its claws and managed to claw the man's hand before he pulled it out of the exhibit, but was unable to latch on, which is really, really good news for the man. Now listen, y'all. I was at the Jacksonville Zoo about six weeks ago. Their jaguar exhibit is incredible. It is also not easy to get over the barriers there. I tried. No, I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. You know I'm kidding. However, as I walk around zoos and as I've become more of an expert on them and have have started really paying a lot of attention to things like the design of an exhibit, I do tend to look at and notice things like where the fences are and where keepers go in and all that good kind of stuff. The exhibit that we're talking about here is not one where it is easy to just bypass some security and get your hand in there. I promise you. This guy worked hard to get his hand cut open. I I don't get it. I just don't get it. And I know, preaching to the choir, but for goodness sake, y'all, let's not harass the animals at zoos, okay? Let's not try to have some magical encounter with an animal that you've been harassing either. This is why I like animals more than people. Anyway, the jaguar has been left to its own devices, everything is fine, and the man was taken to a hospital and was stitched up. Unfortunately, he did not encounter any life-threatening problems because of this absolute stupidity. I'm kidding about that being unfortunate. Probably. And now, to offset the eye-rolling that I'm sure you're all doing, we have some good news out of the Toronto Zoo. A male Shavalsky's horse foal has been born at the Toronto Zoo. Shavalsky's horses were once declared extinct in the wild, with as few as 31 in two zoos in the world in 1945. By the early 1950s, only 12 remained, and the horses that now live at the Toronto Zoo descended from those 12 horses. The Toronto Zoo participates in both the Shavalsky's Horse Species Survival Plan that keeps the genetic pool for this species healthy, and in a reintroduction program that has reintroduced over 300 horses back into the wild, thus making them unextinct. While the population does continue to grow, the species is still obviously considered critically endangered, and uh, that's in part because they were already extinct and have a small population, and in part because they are still losing habitat and uh, being hunted, despite the fact that they are so endangered. Because of these incredibly low numbers, every Shavalsky's horse born is a major victory. So congrats to everyone involved at the Toronto Zoo. I bet all of you are smart enough to have not reached your hand into a jaguar exhibit. And now, I need to give you a bit of a spoiler warning for the animal holiday segment coming up. In July, the conservation community comes together and attempts to have a plastic-free July, where we all abstain from using single-use plastics. And the Maryland Zoo in Baltimore is celebrating plastic-free July by going to plastic-free always. That's right, y'all. The Maryland Zoo is now free of single-use plastics. 
All bottled drinks, including water, are now sold in recyclable aluminum. Dippin' Dots and ice cream cups are paper. Condiment portion cups are paper. All food containers are paper products. They're also planning on using washable plates, bowls, and utensils at concession stands. And the zoo now has three refillable water bottle stations and encourages guests to bring their own reusable water bottles when they visit. As we always say with Plastic Free July, the goal is to do the best that you can to reduce and even try to eliminate for a month your single-use plastics. It is incredibly impressive that a business as large as the Maryland Zoo has pulled this off in a permanent way. The Cheyenne Mountain Zoo in Colorado Springs, Colorado, is happy to announce that they have had a new baby hippo born there. It is the first baby hippo at the zoo in 32 years. Born to a mother known as Zambezi, who is a first-time mom, but who was apparently really good at it, the baby has just been living with mom left uninterrupted. Now, you may remember from the Fiona episode that I did that, in general, hippo mothers are incredibly protective of their calves and oftentimes don't let keepers get close. As such, since everything seems to be going well, the keepers are not stepping in at all to even try to find out gender or weight or anything like that. It's just awesome to see that a baby was born and that a mother is doing such a good job at the zoo. If I was one of those keepers, man, I'd be so excited to see this, but I also would be unable to wait until mama relaxes a little bit and I would start to get to interact and find out things like weight and sex and overall health of the baby. Congrats to everyone at the Cheyenne Mountain Zoo. Now, y'all know that I love to brag on keepers doing cool things, so... Let me take you now to the Aquarium of the Pacific in Long Beach Harbor, where a colony of elegant terns lives on two barges. The problem that they face is that while they live on these barges, when they have chicks, the chicks often fall off the barges into the water where they can drown. So every day now, the staff at the Aquarium of the Pacific hop into boats, head on out towards the barges, and pluck the babies out of the water where they then take them to a local rescue to be rehabilitated and re-released onto their barges. So far, over 450 chicks have been rescued by the incredibly dedicated staff at the Aquarium of the Pacific. Keep in mind, these are wild animals. They are not aquarium animals. They are just wild animals that the staff is going out and helping and being awesome towards. I love this story so much. And if you're inclined to help with the efforts, please go check out birdrescue.org slash help dash turns, T-E-R-N-S, and leave a small donation, or heck, a large donation, to help with these efforts. Uh, they're up to about 35 chicks a day that are being rescued, and it costs a lot of money to feed and house 35 new birds a day while rehabilitating them. And for our last zoo news story this week, I have a tale of a Texas ocelot that uh, you're going to love, even though it starts off a little bit sadly. So Texas ocelots are pretty hard to find in the wild. Their numbers are dwindling pretty badly, and conservationists are working hard to save the species. So when a nine-year-old male ocelot was hit by a car in May... Officials in Texas worked very quickly to get to the body, get it on ice, and transport it to the Gladys Porter Zoo in Brownsville, Texas. The 
senior zoo veterinarian there, Dr. Thomas DeMar, helped remove the testes and chill them with ice packs overnight, where they were then shipped to the Cincinnati Zoo and Botanical Gardens. The following morning, roughly 36 hours after the male had died, the shipment arrived in Cincinnati where Dr. Bill Swanson processed the tissues for sperm recovery. And there was enough genetic material collected to now attempt 20 artificial insemination procedures on female ocelots. To be clear, there are only about 60 to 80 remaining Texas ocelots in the wild, so this is a big deal. The attempted artificial insemination just took place at ABQ Biopark in Albuquerque, New Mexico. That's right, y'all. We are talking three major zoos being involved just to get this little bit of sperm out of a dead cat. But because of how important it is to Texas Ocelot survival, this is amazing. I love the collaboration. I love the effort. I love the amount of logistical stuff that goes into this story. Will it be successful? Who knows? But it already stands as yet another incredible example of why zoos matter. And now... Conservation! Conservation! News time! Oh yeah! A new study, and the first of its kind, is being undertaken to experiment on rewilding grizzly bear cubs. Normally, if a grizzly cub is orphaned in North America, uh, they are either shot on the spot, left to die in the wild, or, if rescued, they are placed in a zoo. Now, however, the Northern Lights Wildlife Shelter in the town of Smithers is attempting to raise a couple of grizzly bears that were abandoned until they are big enough to be released back into the wild, but in the effort teaching them life skills and hopefully helping them become wild grizzlies again. When they are released, they will be fitted with battery-operated radio collars, and the idea is to track them for several years to see how they do, hoping they can avoid human-animal conflict that can often arise from bears that are raised by humans. Um, and also to see if they have the skills necessary to live in the wild when they are taught by a human teacher. If so, this could mean a huge change in how we handle orphaned grizzly bears moving forward. This is going to be a really interesting study to follow over the next couple of years. Okay, for this next story, we're going to be talking about babarusas. And if you don't know what a babarusa is, also known as a deer pig... Uh, do yourself a favor and, and hit that Google button. As a matter of fact, I might actually make it the picture for today's release because I love babarusas. They are such weird little animals. And there's some exciting news about babarusas right now as um, camera traps in Indonesia have confirmed the presence of Babarusa on Buru Island for the first time in 26 years. The proof of a population of Babarusa on this island is a big deal in Indonesia because the Maluku Provincial Conservation Agency, which operates under the Environment Ministry's authority, is now willing to design a conservation program for them on Buru Island and to attempt to confirm the existence of Babarusa on the islands of Magnale and Taliabu. 
big fan of conserving these incredible weirdos. Also, here's a fun fact about Baba Rusa for y'all. In local lore in Indonesia, it is believed that if a person ever gets lost in the forest, a babarusa will appear to guide them to safety. While I doubt that there is any scientific evidence of that fact, it's a really cool idea, y'all. I like it. Let's save these goobers, just in case it is true, right? Oh, and speaking of cameras finding animals that haven't been seen for a while, a super rare dwarf kingfisher was photographed for the first time after 130 years of eluding scientists. This bird species was first described in 1890 by American ornithologist Joseph Beale Steer. However, there was obviously no photograph accompanying the description, probably because his iPhone had died at the time. And now here we are, 130 years later, finally able to view a photograph, actually a couple photographs, of one example of the species. The shots were taken by the team at the Robert S. Kennedy Bird Conservancy, whose director, Miguel David de Leon, is a very specific Filipino field biologist only interested in the colorful wildlife found on the Philippines. He has spent much of his life searching for this bird and finally found a nest where it was believed there would be two birds, but only one came back to the nest. That bird is now the one bird that we have ever photographed of this species. Kind of amazing, y'all. And hey, while we're on the subjects of discovery and rediscovery, um, there has been a sighting of two groups of Formosan-clouded leopards in Taiwan. This is really important because the animal has not been officially sighted since 1983. As such, Taiwanese and U.S. zoologists surveyed the region from 20,001 to 20,013 and failed to find even one member of the species, and as such, the species was declared extinct in the wild. Turns out, it's not. What does this mean for their conservation? Well, only time will tell as they were just rediscovered, but I guarantee you that this means that both conservation experts in Taiwan and around the globe will be working hard to save and help grow this wild population. And now... In other Y'all, this story is so cool. Wildlife photographer Frank Liu has managed to capture some adorable photos of a baby zebra in Kenya's Masai Mara National Reserve. Okay, uh, that in itself is not much of a story, but here's the thing. It is a zebra with a crazy genetic mutation that has a unique coloring... That means it was born with spots instead of stripes. It basically looks like a brown zebra with white dots, honestly. And then in some places, like on the legs, the dots stretch out to actually become stripes. It's incredibly cool, and you should really take the time to look this up. The genetic disorder in question is called pseudomelanism and is incredibly rare in zebras. In fact, it is believed that this is the first time a zebra at Masai Mara has ever had pseudomelanism. 
All I know is that I think it's adorable. And, you know, as somebody who struggles with uh, feeling bad sometimes about the fact that I have vitiligo, I love seeing things like that and realizing that it's beautiful in other creatures. So, hey, it can be beautiful in me too, right? And also, I love that there are at least some of you listening right now who literally just said out loud, right, to your headphones or car speaker. I love that about some of my fans. And those of you that didn't, I love you too. I just, I think it's cool that I know. I can literally picture some people right now that just did that. And I want you to know I appreciate you all very much. All right. And that brings us to animal holidays for the week and month and individual days. You guys know how this works by now. I don't know why I'm explaining this to you. Uh, But I, I do love the fact that the peppermint narwhal calendar has been traveling with me all up and down the East Coast uh, the last couple of days. So uh, let's take a look at what we've got coming up. So the week starts off in July, and as we already mentioned, you already had it spoiled, but you already knew, it is Plastic Free July. It is also Wild About Wildlife Month and National Bison Month, so you still have two days to celebrate all of those awesome things. Also worth mentioning still in July, the 30th is the Day Against Trafficking in Persons and the International Day of Friendship. Which, I mean, hey, yeah, let's encourage our friends to not traffic animals, right? And then July ends on July 31st with National Mutt Day, which is also World Rangers Day. And, you know, I have been reading some really cool stuff lately about the work that rangers are doing to protect animals, especially tigers in the wild. It is amazing. And so much of the work is just done on foot by dedicated individuals working their tushies off to make it happen. Rangers are amazing humans. And then that brings us to August, which is obviously National Catfish Month. I know y'all have your celebrations planned already, and I bet they don't suck. The first week of August is International Assistance Dog Week. I love that. Assistance dogs are incredible. And then, let's see here, Sunday the 1st is Manga Bay Awareness Day. Wednesday the 4th is Owl Awareness Day and Clouded Leopard Day. Thursday the 5th is World Thomastoma Day. And, uh, yeah, that's it for the week. Kind of makes you wonder why owls and clouded leopards couldn't each have their own day instead of sharing. Meh, I guess sharing is caring. Maybe owls and clouded leopards really love each other? I don't know. I like to think so. Oh, goodness. I think all my travel and having been sick recently is is showing a little bit on this one, y'all. All right. And those are your animal holidays for the week. All right. So there you have it. Zoo News, the first one of season two, the first one coming out on a Friday. (laughs) Remember how I came up with the idea to do them on Friday so I wouldn't have to do them last minute? And now I'm sitting here doing it last minute. I'm sure it'll help overall, but I'm I'm very entertained by that fact. Uh, Yeah. Anyway, but hey, we did it. And uh, you were here for it. And I appreciate you. I also super appreciate the people who sent in articles this week. Those include Dr. Zoe Vesley-Gross, Kim Cooley, Dr. Natalie Taco, Danny Poirier-Larson, my mom, Marianne Rossi, Colleen Lenahan, 
And I have one more name to add, not from this week, but I'm so sorry, Andrew King, I forgot to mention you in last week's Zoo News, but you totally shared Zoo News with me. As a matter of fact, y'all, Andrew King let me know about some red panda births that somehow I had missed. So um, I should have been shouting him out like every five minutes. I mean, how do you slip that news to me and have it be news? Come on, that's amazing. Thank you, Andrew, for that. And also just for being an awesome, awesome zoo fan, Rossafari fan. You tag me in all kinds of really, really, really cool stuff. Um merch and stuff. You make me spend a lot of money. I appreciate you, dude. You've got a good heart. You've got a a great camera lens. And uh, I just appreciate you a lot, man. Thank you so much. And remember, you can get your name mentioned, although you probably won't get as much praise as Andrew did, uh, by tagging me in stories. At Rossafari on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I blanked on the word Twitter, but hey, I'm tired. I'm just going to leave it in there. It's okay. It's all good, friends. And uh, yeah, you could also email me, rossafaripod at gmail.com. And I just appreciate you all so much. Thanks for being here. And I can't wait to share the next interview episode with you all. Remember, friends, Newsy Credits Backward is Steiderk Yeswen. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley-Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.